and Daniel singing that song that uh, he where he says he's a vagabond, and then bag of bones. What what's so funny? I mean you. you <laughs> Yeah, old vagabond. And, yeah, yeah. But I know, and every time, and I've been meaning to ask you in private, but now it's just a perfect time. <laughs> old vagabond, and then Matt just laughs while he's hearing that. But uh, man, I tell you what, uh, the, the the Winslet family is a blessing to be able to have a multi-generational group of people <clears throat> that's been that's been blessed and and faithful uh i i like saying it like this it's um it's the generational goodness and faithfulness of an almighty creator and a loving heavenly father it, it it's that's on display with with this family I mean, it's generational. That's the way God... So what me and this lady was talking about earlier, that will hadn't changed in your life just because these outward signs haven't lined up yet. It's just not necessarily how it's working out in your case like it would be in this case, but His goal is generational goodness and faithfulness to those that you love. Um coming to you. And I've experienced some of it in the beginning process, in the beginning stages of it. Generational things are a long time. You're not going to see it all in an instant. Amen. Generational things, a lot of them take, take a long time. For him to develop. But if we begin a process and continue in a process of just letting God change us, then all these things out here will change themselves. If you'll let God change you, I, there, there's, there's a particular parable that Jesus taught that confirms that saying that he said to me years ago <clears throat> that if I let God change me, my situation will change itself. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, Father, I, I thank you f- for this opportunity. Lord God, that... Uh, that I have to impart what you would have for your church. I, I reverence you and honor you with these people. We recognize you as the authority in heaven and in, in this earth. And in our hearts and minds, Let, let let this word fall 
on tender hearts. Let us meditate on these things in our mind and with our mouth. Let us remind ourselves with with the confession that is in agreement with you on a daily basis of what we hear. And Father, not, not only let us be hearers of the word, but be ye also doers, that we don't forget what kind of man we looked at in the mirror. And we thank you for these things. The results that will follow are the miracles, signs, and wonders, demonstrations of power, glory to God, the supernatural things of God that we greatly desire. Let them be in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So I want to continue along the lines of what Pastor been teaching on Wednesday night what I had an opportunity to begin to share this last time I was up here. Uh, no, there's more to be heard here uh, that uh, we hadn't quite got a, 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 a hold of because I, I hadn't sensed the fullness of joy that's manifested yet. And so every opportunity that he gives me, I just want to add to the things that uh, I, I spoke about a couple of weeks ago until we just, we, we jumping and shouting at these things that we hear about the reality of fellowship. Uh, and so the, the reality of fellowship, we know from First um, Corinthians 1, 9 that there's a calling. You've been called to fellowship. And then I asked the question, how, how do we know we've answered the call? The practical application of answering the call. How, how do you know that you have answered the call to fellowship? And um, because we're a knowing people. And, and there's no faith that's going to come with power beyond what we know. In other words, faith begins where the will of God is understood. And so it has to be a reality to us. I'm talking about these things that we're going to hear tonight are not just a fairy tales in this book. This is God's design order on how the body of Christ and the church is designed to function. And my friends, I, I, I know that you've read enough of the Bible that you know we're not supposed to function without the Holy Spirit confirming the word preached without the miracles, the signs, and the wonders, and the demonstrations of power. This is not supposed to be our experience. And so it has to be a reality to us before we can have the faith that comes with power to produce the results in our lives we see in Scripture that we should be experiencing. And so fellowship... It's the very thing that has the power to transform every situation we encounter in life. And so with this type of ability and responsibility available to us, we should be eager and passionate about these things and make sure we don't forsake such a great salvation, such a great privilege, benefit, and honor that God has given to us as his people. 
And so I talked about some scenarios that we read in Scripture. <clears throat> and, and, and so as we, as we progress tonight, I want to keep in mind Romans 12, 1 and 2, talking about presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. And being not conformed to the ways of the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So conformity always has to do with pressure from the outside in changing you. Conformity or transformity has to do with the, the pressure from the inside out. So it's, it's, it's just the opposite. Being conformed to the ways of this world, you'll be shaped and molded by the pressures that come, the information that comes from the outside in. And so transformity is a divine change that takes place from the inside out where the pressure and the information and the experience that you have of the things of God actually work their way from the inside out. So as you hear some of these things tonight, we're going to read scripture. Uh, we're going to read a lot of verses here. and I, These things are beautiful to me. Uh, and, and I can almost, I mean, I'm almost not able to get up and just quit when I'm studying and reading and seeing it because it just starts just like what the psalmist said, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs for thee. To see these things that God has a great desire to have accomplished. To, I'm, I'm telling you, for the very purpose to overthrow the things in this world so they have no effect on humanity. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And so we know that fellowship is a calling. And so are we in fellowship? And pastor's given the illustration that it's one of the great travesties and misconceptions that, that the church has embraced about this personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it gives the appearance of intimacy and, hev and, and, and heavenly things, but it's deceptive and destructive by nature. And so Pastor introduced this thing about the essence of something. And he wondered if he was using the correct word. Oh, yeah, he, he's, using the correct, he's using the correct word for that. The essence of something is just basically the nature of it. What makes it what it is. And so by the nature and the application is the call to fellowship, which is oneness. And we see oneness revealed from the beginning of Adam and Eve, Genesis 2, uh, and all through the Old Testament and the New. And so we talked about how a relationship can exist. And I, I, I'm going to skip down on some stuff. A relationship can exist just by liking each other or having a common interest. Now, we talk about the church. You keep, you keep, keep in mind we're talking about the body of Christ, the church. Evaluate yourself Tonight, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 tells us to examine ourselves, Test yourself and see that if some of these things you hear tonight 
are actually the things that you participate in or the lack thereof on a daily basis and on a weekly basis when we're gathered together or when we're on, on our daily routines doing whatever it is we do in life. So can we uh, maintain these social engagements, this relationship with each other just by having common interest of worldly events such as sports and politics, hunting, fishing, cars, hobbies, etc. And the relationship can be maintained by the outward conditions or circumstances. Uh, but if anything changes or if it doesn't grow, you can go. In other words, you can live without the, other, the benefit of the other person. And these are practical examples of the difference between the way the world does business and the way God does business. And going the way of the world, you're going to get what? Worldly results. <clears throat> no revelation, no understanding, no visions, dreams, miracles, signs, individually or corporately. And so uh, one, of the, one of the things that you can recognize with with our group here at Heritage, this is this is the group I'm here to edify. I know that you know there's people that would be listening online, but my main concern is uh, Tove. What's the address here? Tove Boulevard, the Heritage Christian Center, and the body of believers that's at this place. And so going the ways of the way the world does things with the no revelation, no understanding, no visions, no dreams, miracle signs individually and corporately, but doing it God's way, you'll get God's results. So that means you'll have revelation and understanding. You'll have visions and dreams. I, I don't know that I've had anybody stand up since I've been here, and I've been affiliated with the church coming up 19 years next week, off and on. And then full-time at least seven of those years. I don't know that I've had anybody stand up and edify this body with a dream or a vision. That happened to come to pass where everybody could witness it. And so I, I want to know if there's an answer available for that because that is God's will for those things to happen. Amen? All right, so I'm going to look at some examples in Scripture here. We're talking about fellowship. And I want to go to one of the places that it's introduced when it comes to an offering. We talked about uh, the one of the last things that Paul gave an instruction to is the offering for the saints. Just as I instructed the churches of Galatia and other regions, you should do the same also that... Uh, as as you've prospered, you should set something aside so that when I come, there not need to be an offering taken up. That when these daily uh, needs present themselves, we know that the church had uh, people in place full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit to deal with them. We we know that they actually stopped the preaching in Acts chapter six to get the love ministry right. The preaching was not enough. The elders of the church stopped the preaching, called in the men of God that was out in the field, 
and told them, said, hey, look, we, we, this ain't right. We can't be tending to both. We need somebody to handle these things with the daily needs of the provisions handed out for the saints of the church that are in need. So they actually stopped the preaching to get the love ministry right. And I told you the, the reason that is, see, you can't go ye into all the world and make disciples if you're a reproach among your own people. Amen. See, all through the Bible, just like with uh, Rahab the prostitute, what moved her, and we're going to read about an account here in Ruth, what moved Rahab uh, the prostitute to do the things that she done for the people of God when he come to spy out the land, she, she repeats it over and over. I heard what God done for y'all. How he done this and how he done that. And then when it come time for her to make a decision between her burning with Jericho or joining the people of God, it was a no-brainer for her. She risked her life on it because she had heard what God had done for his people. Amen. All right, so this particular part that's pertaining to the offerings for the saints, I want to show you something right here going all the way back to Leviticus. Y'all probably didn't think you could have anything that would exhort you or encourage you out of the book of Leviticus, did you? All right, so uh, chapter 3 of Leviticus, we're introduced to this uh, ritual or this offering. God's given his people the social standards of, on how to do life as God's people. Many different areas, but we're going to talk about the offering because it is a type and a shadow of the things that we're going to just look at again of what's to happen once the New Testament church is created through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse 1, this is it's called the peace offering or the fellowship offering. And so if his offering is a peace offering or a peace sacrifice, and if he is offering one from the herd, whether male or female, then he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slaughter it at the door of the tent of the meeting. That means publicly. The door of the tent, when you read that in the Old Testament, that means that's a public display of truth taking place. And when you lay your hands on the offering, that's this slaughtered animal that you're laying your hands on, that's, that, that's a display of you anointing that thing you're about to give. You hear me? Same difference is what we do in the New Testament when you lay hands on somebody and what? Anoint them. Okay, so, and the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood on the sides of the altar, and he shall offer from the peace sacrifice and a food offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys, and he goes down and just naming body parts. But I wanted you to pay attention to the fat. 
Okay? Because we're going to read what the fat is over in the book of Ruth. And so the sons of Aaron, these are the priests. So you know we've been made priests in the New Testament. You hear me? So you have every right and then even more right because of the blood that's been sacrificed for us in the New Testament was not established by the blood of bulls and goats. You have a greater honor and a greater privilege and a greater authority because of the blood that's been shed for us. All right, so, and then here in verse 5, it says, The sons of Aaron shall burn it on the altar. Um, and which is a pleasing aroma for the Lord. And so pay attention to the pleasing aroma. And if his offering is a peace offering or a fellowship offering or a fellowship sacrifice, and let me tell you where I like this word sacrifice and offering go hand in hand. And, and what I see in today's church is the same thing that the master dealt with in his day, and I'll read, we're going to read that in a minute. But see, we're ceremonial people. We sing and dance and we preach. We're ceremonial, but we're not sacrificial. And there's a difference. Presenting your body as what? A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto the Lord. Now, Jesus makes a reference to this in John 15. No greater love than this. If a man lay down his life for his friends. So, you know, a lot of times we get carried off on, you know, Jesus laid down his life. See, he was called to die. And him laying down his life is always just attributed to those few hours at Calvary. But, but my friend, I, him laying down his life started when he was in the manger. And so laying down your life and dying for somebody is a one-time event. But the type of life presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice would show you he's not talking about dying for somebody. And reason this is way more important in what I want to show you tonight, uh, a man lay down his life for his friend is actually that where you get to a point in your life that you not only consider your own interest but the interest of others. And um, so a, a lot of times, uh, and there's some examples here that I know I probably won't get to, but I, I, it's a great example. The rich young ruler, he talked about all the things, what he had to do to inherit eternal life. And he said, and he talked about the commandments. Well, I've done all the commandments. I've kept these from my youth. And then Jesus said to him, okay, if you would be perfect or if you would be complete, go and sell what you have and give to the poor. And he drew back at that. 
So the times that he kept the commandments, he's doing everything in his power to make his life good. See, if you in the Old Testament, if you followed the commandments, you, you done good. You you were going to experience some things of God. But see, in the New Testament, this thing was transitioning and not only just looking out for yourself, but you look out for the interest of others. And the minute that was mentioned for him to help somebody else, he choked on it. Departed from Jesus. And what happened? Why? He was grieved because he had many possessions. But that's not us. All through the scriptures in the New Testament, when it talks about giving and providing for the needs and the cares of other people, it's supposed to manifest great joy in our hearts. And so this offering here that is introduced, um, if he's offering a sheep for his offering, he's to offer it before the Lord. And that's to prayer and anoint it. And so where where we learned uh, in... Um, Paul's writings, how, how this is designed to work is that you prepare your offering in the privacy of your own heart. Whatever a man has decided to give in his heart, that's what he gives. Based on what he has, not what he doesn't have. And, and so then you're to anoint it and pray for it. And it's set aside. He talks about, he gives us an instruction for that that gift to be set aside and brought to the house of God publicly in front of the whole house and handed over uh, to the ministry of the church to, to use in order to benefit those that are in a place and time in their life they can't provide for themselves. Amen. And, and so that's... that's designed to produce great joy in our hearts knowing that we have this great ability. And so when you read uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and we read a little bit of it, uh, all of it's talking about uh, giving and the needs of the saints. And then Paul goes on in, in chapter 10 and he says, hey, I, I intend on challenging some of you that uh, think that I'm acting unspiritual. And, and he, then he goes on, talks about that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for the tearing down of strongholds. And so you got two chapters talking about generosity, and then, then, then this brief moment, he's talking about tearing down strongholds where the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And, and the Lord showed me how that generosity has the ability to tear down strongholds. It's the spiritual gift that's being talked about for two chapters. Now I'm talking about individually and corporately. And, and, and one of the examples of I, I give about worship, and we're going to see this in, in Ruth. The reason God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt <clears throat> is that when you're enslaved, when you're enslaved and you're in bondage to something that's in the world, it frustrates worship. And financial bondage is the greatest hindrance that we have in the body of Christ today. 
You can, and, and I'm talking about self-inflicted things, things you may have inherited, whatever the case be, there's many, many examples in the scriptures that it does not matter the way we come to, to, to be caught up into these things. God has a way of deliverance and restoration that, that these people uh, can experience through the body of Christ. You, you can't be spiritually free and financially bound. It's impossible. And so, I'm trying to find Ruth here. It's about judges somewhere. And so, uh, because this is a beautiful portion of Scripture that is a great example of what I want to show you. of Boaz being the kinsman redeemer and he's a type of the Lord Jesus. Amen? Are y'all familiar with that? Boaz being the kinsman redeemer and him being a type. Somebody help me here. Where am I at? Where? What? Kings and then judges. I had it. I had it. There it is, right there. I had it marked. So I'm going to start in chapter two here for for the time's sake. Okay. So now Naomi had a relative of her husband a man of prominence and means from the clan of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So if you can write in your Bible, write down a type of Jesus right there. Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, please let me go into the field and glean among the heads of grain behind anyone in whose eyes I may find favor. Now, another translation says, who is willing to let me? Notice the willingness. Who is willing to let me? Let me go glean among the heads of the grain behind anyone whose eyes I may find favor. And Naomi said to her, go my daughter, So she went to glean in the field behind the harvesters. All right, so y'all say with me right now, I am a harvester. See, it's Boaz's field. He's a type of Jesus, okay? And we are the harvesters. We know that from the New Testament. So now... So she went to glean in the field behind the harvesters. This represents the fat portion that we read about in Leviticus 3. You have the harvest, and then you have what's left over on the outer edges. We're going going to read that right here. That's what's left over from the harvest. And so she happened to come to a part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, the field belonging to Boaz 
And if he's a type of Jesus and the field belongs to him, this is a picture of the church. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we work in his field. So just then Boaz came to Bethlehem and said to the harvesters, May the Lord be with you. And, and, and so then Boaz said to the servants, who, Who's in charge of his harvest? Whose woman is this? So when Boaz is talking to his servants, this is the lay people that we have in the church, which would be door greeters, elders, deacons. You, you see what happens when you have visitors that come on a... I want to slow this down for you, and I want, I want you to process what we do here in church so that you can justifiably look at yourself and say, have I answered the call of fellowship? Or can my existence with these people of God just simply exist based on worldly conditions and circumstances? And so Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the harvesters, that's the people of, of his field, uh, who, who is this woman? And... Um, so the servants who, who was in charge of the harvesters answered, She is the young Moabitess who came back with Naomi from the land of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather grain among the bundles behind the harvesters. So she came and remained from morning until now, though she rested a little while in the house. So Naomi came by faith looking for help. Because she said up here, if I can just go glean behind anyone, and she went. My friends, that's a demonstration of faith. She's going looking for help for the food that she needs on a daily basis. Now, there's nothing spiritual there. She's just hungry. No, nothing spiritual there. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, do not glean. Who's, who's Boaz? A type of? Do, do not glean in the. Do, do not go and glean in another field and leave this one. Stay close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field in which they reap and follow after them. So here, here when it says don't go glean in another field, he's saying don't, don't go commit to something or someone that will harm you or disappoint you or enslave you. Don't, don't go. Now this is the wisdom of Boaz, same as Jesus. Don't, don't go glean in another field. Stay close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field in which they Reap and follow after them. See, this is a pattern. Now, how we send people away and go and glean in another field, uh, what we're doing is we're sending them to another place of provision and protection and comfort. And those three are Satan, the world, and the government. The reason government programs are so effective now is because the church doesn't do what they're supposed to do. 
Amen. And I'm reading it to you right here. I'm going to show you. Boaz told her, don't go to another field. And guess what he did? He says, I've commanded the men, the harvesters, not to touch you. And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young women and men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should acknowledge me a foreigner? So notice this. When, when she came, there wasn't nothing spiritual there. She came because she was needing something to eat. Then once she experienced the, the goodness and the provision and the nourishment of God, she bowed down to the ground. Now all of a sudden it's done revealed the spiritual side of this Moabite woman. The provision and the nourishment is here. So compassion produced the spiritual side of this woman. So Boaz answered and said to her, I've been told all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of her husband and how you left your father and your mother in the homeland and came to a, to, a, to a people you did not know before. So do we have people come into church on a regular basis? Total strangers. Don't know none of us. I submit to you tonight, every one of them has a need that they're looking for God to meet. Every one of them. Now, there's several things going on here, and I'm, I'm not going to be able to read the Scripture, but I want if you'll notice over in, in uh, Matthew 16, no, Matthew 14, and then Mark 6, when the disciples, when it come to feed the multitude, they, they come to Jesus and said, Master said, it's late in the evening, uh, you know, these people are hungry. Shall we send them away so they can go buy food for themselves? See, they were trying to send them to another field. But what Boaz say? He said the same thing Jesus said. Don't send them away. You feed them. You give them what they need. Oh, but it take, it take all this money to do that, Lord. Uh, hey, just bring what you got. So he went from the money to just... Going to the situation that what we read in the, in Second Corinthians eight and nine that a man give what he's got, what he has, not what he don't have. You just bring what you have, and what happens? Well, Jesus lays hands on it, blesses it, and anoints it, and then all of a sudden he hands it back to them, and they distribute it, and not one among them left hungry. See, they wanted they wanted to send them away without a testimony. But after it was all said and done and the master fed the 5,000, 4,000 in another scenario, 5,000, and then if you count the women and the children, they say up to close to 20,000 people. Once, once he had met their need, then he sent them away. But guess what? It was with the testimony of what God had done for them. And then you read all throughout the Gospels that they just flock to him. They come to him. They, they, they came following after this one that would meet the needs that they had on a daily basis. So God's made a promise to the world, come unto me and I'll meet every need. So look here how this happens. 
So may the Lord reward you of your deeds. This is Boaz talking to Ruth. And may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have taken refuge. Now, how is it that Boaz is making reference to the Lord rewarding her and it's actually his field? Because we're ambassadors. We represent God. He works through his people. When Jesus said, hey, if you've given a cup of cold water, you've given it unto me. When you've done this, all these things that you see people doing, and and so, so you do see what I'm showing you right here. May the Lord reward your deeds. And, and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, whose wings you've come and taken refuge. And then she said, May I find favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me. You have spoken kindly to your servant, <clears throat> though I am not like one of your servant girls. Now listen, everybody has a different story of why they come to the Lord, why they come to the house of God looking for help. See, she says here, I'm not like one of your servant girls. Everybody has a different story. But look here, at the mealtime, Boaz said to her, who is Boaz? He's a type of the Lord Jesus. He said, come over here and eat some bread and dip, dip your piece in the vinegar. She sat down beside the harvesters and he passed her some roasted grain. She ate and was full and had some left over. And when she got up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, let her glean even among the bundles and do not harm her. Also pull out some grain for her from the bundles and leave it so that she may glean it and do not rebuke her. So everybody's got a different story when they come to the Lord, but God has only one story. You bring them in and you let them eat just like you eat. Amen. All right, so look here. Here's the thing too now. He commanded the young men who were able, let her glean even among the bundles and do not harm her and also pull out some grain for her. He said, make it easy for them. You pull out the grain for her. And guess what? That means your work's going to produce her provision. That's where the joy is supposed to come in. Your work, see, he told, he told these people, the harvesters, now you said earlier you're a harvester. He said, you pull out some grain for her and don't rebuke her. So your work produces her provision and comfort. Now, I've heard this many times. It grieves me because there's no real understanding on what they're saying. It comes from a heart of selfishness. But I've heard references made with people. Many time moves. I've heard references of people talking about giving somebody something and they said, uh, man, I worked hard for that and nobody ever gave me nothing. I had to work for it. 
And it grieved me that, that they would be so shallow and hard in their heart not to even recognize that it was the grace of God that gave them the time and the ability to accomplish everything they had accomplished in their life. And God gave that to them. It was a free gift. And so you go on down, then after all that's going on, uh, Naomi said to her daughter, she went back home and uh, Ruth was telling her about what happened. And she said, may, may Boaz be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. And then Ruth the Moabitess said, he even told me you should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. So actually, the, you know, that was the Lord saying to uh, the people that have come into the church, you continue in fellowship and be comforted all the way to the end. And she stayed close to the young women of Boaz, of Boaz and gleaned until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. She stayed faithful. So uh, let me finish right here. So the greater works that we know about in, in, in the New Testament, Jesus said, greater works than these that you'll do also because I go to my Father. See, the greater works is found in the greater love. And the greater glory is found in the fellowship, in the oneness. And so we see the examples of why in uh, the Gospels, after these accounts where the disciples even wanted to send the children away. The children wanted to come to Jesus, and the disciples wanted to send them away. See, that's, that shows a hardness of the heart. They, they had everything they needed. They were walking with the Master on a daily basis. The provision was there, the understanding, the revelation. All that was being exposed to them. But the ones that were coming to them that wanted some of that, they wanted to always send them away. That's a hardness of the heart. And then what we notice is Jesus always asked them this question. Why is it that you still don't understand? And it's simply because the lack of compassion is the highest level of a hardened heart you can have. And it'll frustrate understanding and insight. So compassion is both the fuel and the fruit of fellowship. It's an inward reality that requires an outward expression of love toward other people. And it has the ability to change every situation in life. And it's called fellowship. Being one with the other that we know from the body of Christ that if one suffers, we all suffer. If one's in lack, then it's just like if we were in lack. And we feel that with a, with a deep compassion in our heart. And if we have the ability to fix it, we fix it. And then we get them in a position that it may be a month later, six months later, a year later, that they're no longer in need, that they're actually in a position to be the ones to help somebody. And then this is where the joy, this is where the joy is manifested. And so I can tell we, we need to hear some more. I may not be doing a great job delivering it.
Consider other people more important than yourself. Not only looking out for your own interest, but the interest of others. So, Father, I thank you for this time that this that this word uh, has f- f- fell on tender hearts, compassionate hearts, minds that's been renewed. We've examined ourselves. We we look and see that if we have answered the call of fellowship, or else we're simply just having a social engagement. Uh, all these days that we've participated in the kingdom of God, reaping benefits um, uh, beyond our greatest capacity, and yet the one beside us sits without. Father, help us see these things, that this is the open door of miracles and signs and wonders and this great display of power that you have for your church when we're no longer entangled by the things that's in this world, but we've been delivered. And for those that are participating in it, we pray for them. And we thank them for this undescribable gift, this gift of generosity. And we'll expect good results from it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.